From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter um, 1. We're in our series called Ghost, all about the Holy Spirit of God, and we've looked at a number of things over this um, series, and we're going to dive into another one today. So if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 1, we're going to read uh, verse 8. This is our key verse, but we got a lot of scripture that we're going to look at today. So Acts chapter 1 says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, we pray as we open up the word and as we dive into this uh, teaching today, that ultimately you'd speak to our hearts and not just speak to our hearts, but Lord, you would overflow in our lives. The same power that the early church experienced um, in Acts chapter two, the, the overflowing of the spirit we want for our lives. And I just pray that as we, as we look at this God, that you'd give me clarity to speak and give us clarity and understanding to receive ultimately what you wanna say. I pray you bless every person within the sound of my voice today. Lord, those that are in need, would you touch and would you um, heal? I think of Jean Vernon, Lord, just saw that she's in the hospital. And I pray, Father, that you bless her today as she watches online, that you'd heal her body. For those that are experiencing kidney issues, God, we pray in the name of Jesus for healing. We pray, God, and we command a restoration of bodies. Lord, for those that are in need of reconciliation, reconcile. Lord, for those who need financial provision, God, you are the provider, and so I pray for provision. Lord, do what, you, what only you can do in our lives, and be Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so I, uh, in our house, we are, we are Apple product people. We are not um, PC people. So we do, we do Macs, we don't do PCs, right? We do iPhones, we don't do Android phones. Um, we do iPads. We don't do tablets. We, we converted fully, if we can use the word converted, to Apple. A few years ago, we dived in. We were initiated into the family of Apple products with the exception of like Apple Music because we all know for those of you who like music that that's not the best product out there. Um, and we love it. And we love it. Um, and what I love about Apple products is every year they come out with a new phone, which is exciting because there's new bells and whistles and has new power and has new ability and has new um, uh, features on the phone. Um, the one thing I don't like about it is it's astronomically expensive um, if you've ever looked at upgrading a phone. Um, so we don't do that because we're, we're frugal, um, which is really a nice way to say that we're cheap. Well, I'm cheap. Um, we're frugal, I'm cheap. And uh, so we usually wait till our phones are like dead, like completely done before we even upgrade. But what I do love about um, each year when they come out with a new phone is they also usually come out with what's called a software upgrade. And the software upgrade um, has this beautiful word attached to it called free. It's a free upgrade. And I love that. And what I love about the software upgrade is it takes my present device, my phone in this case, and it takes this device and it makes my ability to use it better. It makes the, the power that is in it, the features that already exist, just that much more um, better. It makes, it, it makes the experience better. It makes my, my use of it better. And some people, I've, I've, I've talked to different people, some people don't like to do the software upgrade. 
because they're a little skeptical. They're not early adopters. They want, they want to wait. You know, they want to make sure that other, they want to see other people using it, see what happens to them first before they, they dive into the software upgrade, and that's fine. Um, others, they never upgrade. You know, they just don't think that that's for them, so they just never upgrade. They're still using, like, the old software from, like, back in the day. They're still using, like, Windows 98 computers. Does anybody still even, does those even still exist? Tech guys at the back, Windows 98, they still do. Yeah, I got a thumbs up. Some people still use those. Um, some people never do the upgrades, but uh, I love doing the upgrades, and you can upgrade, and usually when you do, you find that the software um, makes the device that much better. And that is not unlike the life of a follower of Jesus. There is a, a life as a follower of Jesus, and there is life to the full as a follower of Jesus. There is doing life as someone who believes in Jesus with the Holy Spirit living in you, and there is someone doing life um, who believes in Jesus with the fullness of the Spirit in you. And this is what is referred to in, in Pentecostalism as the baptism of the Spirit, or spirit baptism, or often referred to in other uh, charismatic circles is the fullness of the Spirit. And this is what Jesus meant by you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you. And we're going to laser focus into this um, topic today. So strap your seatbelts on, grab a notepad or grab your phone um, to take notes. Um, st studies show that you actually retain more information when you take notes. So this is the kind of one that you want to take notes in. It's not exhaustive, um, but we're going to be kind of just digging into this a bit. And here's my main goal for you today and for all of us today is I want you to know that this is biblical and this is available to you much like the software upgrade on your phone, that this is available to you. Now, this is something that I wrestled with um, sharing today. Uh, it's a doctrine that is foundational to Pentecostalism. It's, a, it's foundational to the Pentecostal movement of which this church is a part. But I wrestled with it because it is, um, is something that a lot of churches and Christians divide over. Um, I believe there's a lot of confusion even within um, Pentecostal churches uh, on this subject. And even for those of us that do believe this, many more than not don't live it. And I believe that might be us today. That might be a lot of us today. Now, because of the division, some Christians believe that those who believe in this see themselves as superior, which is not true. And some actually feel like they're worth less because they haven't had um, this experience. So I really wrestled with this. But as you comb through the, the Bible, and you look at the work of the Spirit from the beginning to the end, and you look at the New Testament church, and you see the power of the Spirit, and when you look throughout history and you see the experience and the working power of the Spirit, it's something that can't be ignored. Um, A.W. Tozer, who was a writer and pastor in the 20th century, one of my favorite writers right now, he said, the Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. I like how Billy Graham put it, a great evangelist of our time. He said, anything short of the spirit-filled life is less than God's plan for each believer. So it's not that people are worth less, but this is something that God has planned for his people. And so today we're going to dive into this. This is going to be um, more like a teaching um, lesson today. But my main goal, again, is for you to understand and for all of us to understand that this is available for us today. So bear with me and hold on to the end. Hold on to the end because at the end, I'm going to give you simple steps on how you can be filled with the Spirit or baptized in the Spirit. So is there a way of understanding baptism of the Spirit that is aligned with the Scriptures? that is, uh, makes sense to our experience as we experience the Spirit flowing through our lives? 
and actually become something that we actually practice and live out? And I think there is. Now, here's my heart for this, for this church, for Parkway, is I want us to be a spirit-filled church. I want us to be a church that, that knows and feels empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the will of God and to minister for God. I, I want us to be like the believers in Acts, Acts who had a boldness that came from the fullness of the Spirit, to be able to utilize the gifts that God has given each of us who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ with power. So Billy Graham, the, the late great evangelist, he tells the story of his home. Um, he says, the water is supplied by a reservoir which is fed by two mountain springs. These two springs on the mountain above the house, according to the mountain people who lived there before um, he did, never fluctuate. Rainy season or dry season, they remain the same. And he draws on the water as he needs it and the spring continually flows into the reservoir, keeping it filled to overflowing. And that is kind of like what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's a continual flow of the power of the Spirit that we draw upon. And Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. It's the power of God to live for God. It's the power of God to live for God. Now, if you take a panoramic uh, view of the scriptures, you see the empowerment of the, speech, uh, the Spirit of God throughout its entirety. In the Old Testament, uh, the Spirit of God would often come upon just select individuals, you know, prophets, uh, priests, uh, kings, or leaders, and it was only, only for specific purpose and in specific times. We've got people like Moses, Joshua, uh, Gideon, Saul, David, the, the prophets. Um, even into um, the New Testament, before the New Covenant, you have Mary and, or Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary, um, a man named Simeon, um, but only for specific purposes, not to live in and not to in, uh, continually empower. But in the New Covenant, the time after Jesus, you see from Acts chapter two, the entire group of, of believers experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, you gotta remember that just before Jesus entered into heaven, he said to his disciples, we talked about this um, two weeks ago, he said to his disciples, wait for the promise of the Father, right? Acts chapter one, the gift of the Spirit. It says this in Acts chapter two. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So this was an experience that they saw with their eyes. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And if you look at the story from that moment on, you see that um, their boldness in their message in their witness increased dramatically. The, the spread of the mission and the spread of the gospel message exploded and the church grew exponentially. And if you focus on someone like Peter, who um, because of being filled with the spirit, he goes from someone who cowered cowered at the crucifixion of Jesus 50 days before to someone who would speak boldly in front of thousands to witness to them about Christ because of the filling of the Spirit. So when you look throughout the Scriptures, Old Testament and New, you see the Spirit coming upon people to empower them. And what we witness happening in Acts chapter 2, it's actually a fulfillment of a prophecy, which was about eight, 900 years before Acts chapter 2, so 28, 2900 years ago for us, from the prophet Joel, he says, I will pour out, this is God speaking through the prophet, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So this is something you need to understand, Parkway family. This is something that is not just for select individuals, but this is something for all believers. The coming of the spirit in power on the followers of Jesus. Now, the purpose of spirit baptism, if you get nothing else today, I want you to get this. The purpose of of baptism of the spirit is that those who are filled would glorify Jesus with their lives. Because that is what the Holy Spirit came to do. It's not so you can be a better Christian. It's not so that you can have some power and ability and use gifts in the gathering. It's so that you can glorify Jesus with your life. Jesus said in John chapter 16, he, referring to the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So I would say that actually a great proof, a sign even, if I dare say that, that someone is living a spirit-filled life is that Jesus is becoming more and more evident in their life. Because the purpose of spirit baptism is to glorify Jesus. Are people seeing more of him and less of me? Are they seeing more of Jesus in my life and less of me? Now, here's what we need to make clear from the onset. We talked about the role of uh, the spirit in regeneration, being reborn, being born again last week. If you missed that, go, go back and listen to that. We talked about the person of the spirit and the promise of Jesus to send the spirit to live in believers uh, two weeks ago, a few weeks back, the beginning of the series. So the moment you confess your sin and you believe in Jesus, the spirit comes and he lives in your life. Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 to 14 says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed, you are marked by him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Romans chapter eight, another one, I got two more for you. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I gotta share these, you gotta know this. Verse 13, for we are all baptized by one spirit as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, for we were all given the one spirit to drink. And Paul, when he shares that verse, is actually speaking to a church that functioned in a lot of spiritual gifts, but were were incredibly divided. And so he's talking about unity. We were all, all baptized by one spirit. As a believer in Jesus, you have the spirit of God in you. When you believed, you were marked by the spirit of God. He lives in you. Prior to Pentecost, however, the spirit of God did not dwell in followers of Jesus. It wasn't until Pentecost when the spirit was poured out in power on the followers of Jesus that the spirit now dwells in each of us. So when you were reborn, you need to understand this. Every person who's watching and tuning in and engaging today, hearing this, when you believed in Jesus, you received the spirit of God. He dwells in your life. Now, this is where some um, division happens in churches and where Pentecostalism and like-minded denominations differ from others, okay? 
So many see the baptism of the Spirit or the Spirit baptism or being filled with the Spirit as one and the same experience as, as the Spirit you receive at conversion. They see as one and the same. And you know what? It's important to understand what baptism is. Culturally speaking, the, the term baptism, what baptism is, is it's, it's a form of initiation. It's an initiation rite. You know, it's, it's actually how you become part of a new family. And that's why some... Um, like Muslims and Jews, when one of their family members becomes a follower of Jesus, they'll actually hold a funeral because that member of the family has left their family for another family. However, Pentecostals differ from others on spirit baptism. They see a separation that you are given the spirit of God when you believe, right? First Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter one. But there's a subsequent experience of the spirit, which we refer to as baptism of spirit, where you were empowered by the Spirit. Two experiences. Some would say two baptisms, but I don't like that terminology because I get hung up on words, okay? I'll share a little bit of that at the end. Now, this came about about 120 years ago, um, back in the early 1900s, at the beginning of the Pentecostal movement with the Azusa Street Revival. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Azusa Street Revival, the Azusa Street Revival is one of the most influential revivals in, in the history of the Christian church. It has influenced millions of people it became an icon and model for early Pentecostalism. And if you call yourself a Pentecostal or you associate with a Pentecostal church like this one, it's because of the influence of the Azusa Street Revival. So in 1906, a group of people, followers of Jesus, people who were saved, along with a black one-eyed preacher named William James Seymour, gathered together in the home of, of Richard and Ruth Asbury. And they had it in their hearts to experience the baptism of the Spirit as described in, the, in Acts chapter two. Their desire was to experience the spirit, that experience, just like it was described in Acts chapter two. So what they did is they did a 10 day fast where each day they would gather together and they would read and study Acts chapter one, the promise of Jesus, and also Acts chapter two, the spirit flowing with the intent of, of having this experience with, with the sign of speaking in tongues. That was their intent. Three days into the, into the fast, um, one of them was filled with the spirit with tongues as a sign. And then subsequently they all had the same experience and this spread like crazy. People from everywhere began to come to this little home. In fact, so many people gathered in this home that the porch collapsed under the weight of people that were there. So soon they moved, they rented a small building at Azusa Street, that's where we get the Azusa Street name from. And they began to hold uh, services where anyone, anywhere from 300 to 1500 people would attempt to fit into this small building. All of them wanting to experience the power of God through the filling of the Spirit as described in Acts chapter two with tongues as a sign. And what's incredible about this is people from diverse backgrounds came to Azusa Street. Men and women and children, poor, illiterate, educated, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, people all came from everywhere to experience this revival. Now, what's remarkable is this intermingling of the races um, along with their um, challenge or their, their encouragement of women in leadership was at the height of the Jim Crow era of segregation. So during a time when the, when the states was incredibly segregated among the races, a movement of the spirit was bringing people together. It's incredible. It broke, the, it broke the segregation lines. People were saved, people were sanctified or empowered, they were drawn, they were excited, they spoke in tongues. Now, we're not gonna spend time spoke, uh, focusing on tongues today. I'm probably gonna do a separate one on that. 
That's not what I want to give attention to today. But because um, they spoke in tongues, they actually believed that they were not just necessarily speaking a prayer language or a heavenly language, but they actually believed that they were speaking other languages. And so this led the people to spread and to actually go to other nations with what they thought were these languages to share the gospel. And so the Pentecostal movement from the beginning has been largely mission-focused, largely mission-focused. A similar movement happened at the same time here in Canada and Toronto with a powerful move of the Spirit late in the same year. Arthur and Ellen Hebden, they rented a small uh, storefront for meetings and while in prayer on November, in November 1906, same year, Ellen Hebden began to speak in tongues. And soon others did, and the same thing happened. People um, and the news spread, and people started to gather, and it ignited a revival. And um, Ellen Hebden and Arthur are prominent uh, Pentecostal pioneers in Canada because of that. And this experience, this baptism of the Spirit, has marked Pentecostalism, a movement that now has uh, globally 500 million participants. It's 25% of the world's Christian population are Pentecostals. It's the largest, fastest growing segment of Christianity. All because of this emphasis on the power for mission and witness, not sign gifts, but power and mission for witness, that you're not tapping into the full potential of the Spirit of God within, without it. Now, something else important to note, prior to this in the 19th century, 1800, early 1800s and into the mid-1800s, um, there was a teaching by the man named, uh, man named John Wesley, which you may have heard of, prominent preacher in the 1800s, um, influential in the church movement. A teaching by him uh, called Entire Sanctification or Christian Perfection. He believed that you could become a perfect Perfectly love, you could have perfect love and perfect holiness, but to do this, you would need a second experience or a subsequent blessing um, from conversion. Now, this idea was picked up by others in the 19th century um, that you needed some form of second experience after you were saved. Um, one guy by the name of R.A. Torrey started to teach that this, this entire sanctification or perfect holiness was the baptism of the Spirit. He used that terminology. Now, somewhere along the lines, as that experience um, in the Azusa Street and Hebden Mission began to happen, is the early Pentecostals, they picked up on that terminology. Um, but instead of the second blessing leading you to perfect holiness, this subsequent experience was this experience they were, they were having from the book of Acts, this filling of the Spirit. Now, here's where we need to, we need to be careful. And this is anytime you're studying a doctrine or theology that has division or controversy around it, you always want to ask yourself or do some research on what is the origin and how, what was the date of the origin? Because if something, if, if nothing was said about the doctrine two, for 2,000 years of church history, it's not that you, it's wrong. Um, it, just, it just puts up some red flags, right? It's just, you got you to ask yourself, okay, what's going on here? And this is where we got to look into the Bible. So now we go into the book of Acts. We're seeing this experience 120 years ago with Azusa Street, Hebden Mission. Okay, so let's look into the book of Acts. We see this. We see this experience. Believers, people who were saved, had an experience with the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 2, I read it. They were followers. They were saved. And this outpouring of the Spirit was something that, that provoked the early Pentecostals to pursue the Spirit in a similar manner. Now, some would say that this initial outpouring of the Spirit Um, was just to establish the church and the spirit indwelling each believer. And that's not necessarily wrong, right? Part and parcel of it. But then we see in Acts chapter eight, verses 14 to 16, we see a subsequent event with the Samaritans. So it says this, 
Acts chapter eight, verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So they believed and then they received the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, some would say that this was just the Lord opening the door to include the Samaritans into the church. Now, you need to understand that between Jews and Samaritans, there was incredible um, racism. The Jews considered the Samaritans half-breeds. They were, they were less than, they, they, they would avoid go. That's why when Jesus met with the woman at the well and the disciples were like incredible shock because they would avoid Samaria at all, at all costs. But a subsequent event. Then you have Acts chapter 19. Verses one to seven. So Paul here has an encounter with some of the disciples in Ephesus, or some disciples in Ephesus, and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, well, we haven't heard there was a Holy Spirit. And then he's like, well, what baptism did you, did you receive? And they're like, we, were, we received John's baptism. And then he's like, John's baptism was just a baptism of repentance. Remember, it's, it's, an, it's a form of initiation, a welcoming into the family that's just a baptism of repentance, but John told us to believe the, of the one who would come after him, which was Jesus. And so they believed, then he placed his hands on them and the spirit came upon them. Now, what's crazy about this experience in Acts chapter 19, sometimes when you read the book of Acts, you kind of read it like all the years are going quickly, but this was 25 years after Pentecost. This is about 25 years after Pentecost, Acts chapter two, the power of the spirit was still available beyond the first move of the spirit in the church. Now, some would say again, opponents of this, they'd say, well, this is because they believe John's Baptist and Jesus, uh, or John's Baptist in teaching and had yet to really believe in Jesus. So then we go to another event. Paul's conversion, Acts chapter nine. Paul, Saul at the time. So Saul was on his way to persecute Christians in Damascus and he has this encounter with Jesus where he's blinded. And those who are with him hear the sound, but they don't see anything. And Paul, who was Saul at the time, is speaking with Jesus. Jesus is telling him that he's persecuting him, but he's called him to, to be a minister of the gospel. Three days later, a fellow Christian by the name of Ananias shows up because he himself was led by the Lord to go and pray over Paul. Says this, he said, brother Saul, which is important to note because the term brother was only given to those who were part of the Christian family, right? It was like your brother, your sister in Christ. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here three days ago has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And that word baptized there means he was water baptized. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a renowned preacher and medical doctor in the 20th century, he said this, I'm asserting that you can be a believer that you can have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and still not be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm suggesting that this is something which is therefore obviously distinct from and separate from becoming a Christian, being regenerate, having the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So there's this belief and you receive the Holy Spirit, right? You are marked in him by the Holy Spirit. And then subsequent to that, there's this filling of the Spirit to be empowered. Now there's another um, instance to note in the book of Acts. Lots of scripture today. Acts chapter 10, we have the story of a Gentile man by the name of Cornelius and his family. 
And Peter came and he spoke to them about Jesus, um, who they had heard about before. If you read the text, they had heard of, about him before. And while he was speaking to them about Jesus, the Holy Spirit came upon all those who heard him, which I love. I love that. They don't come to an altar. They're not, someone didn't place their hands on them. They're not, they're not asking for the Spirit. They're just listening to the message of Jesus and the Spirit is poured out. And they knew this, it says, they knew this um, because they heard them speaking in tongues. Now, some will look at this and they'll say, well, the, the belief, they believed and they received the baptism of the Spirit. That's one in the same event. Now, that's, that's debated. Um, it's not necessarily the case, but it's debated. So antagonists toward this entire interpretation of scripture, looking at Acts, this Pentecostal teaching, the second experience of the Holy Spirit, we'll look at the whole book of Acts and all these texts. We had five of them, all these texts, and basically say, this was just the beginning of the Spirit being poured out on all believers. This is not the pattern for today. That's what people will say. That there's one baptism of the Spirit and all receive it at conversion. And yet you see something you see something in the scriptures and you experience something in the spirit that leads us to believe that there is a filling of the spirit. There's a fullness of the spirit that exists for us beyond the spirit coming to dwell in us when we believe. Let me say this, pay attention, like pay attention to this. Regardless of when, can I say that? <laughs> Regardless of when, subsequent or not, there is a power that comes from the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And there are things that make that evident in our lives. You know, too often in the church, among churches, among denominations, we're divided over this issue. But regardless, there is a power, Jesus said. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I want us to be a spirit-filled church. I want us to be people who are full of the Holy Spirit. I want us to be people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want us to be people who feel bold in the name of Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. I want us to look at Acts chapter two and not say we want that. I want us to look at that and say we have that. That is who we are. That's marked us as a church. Over the rest of this series, you know, we're gonna talk a little bit about what, what the result is of spirit baptism, what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. But here's where I land um, with regards to baptism of the Spirit, Spirit baptism, filled with the Spirit, whatever terminology you wanna use. I get hung up on terms a lot. So this is where I kind of land. I lean towards what, what some have called one baptism, multiple subsequent fillings. Like there's one baptism into the body of believers, right? First Corinthians chapter 12, 13 says that. We're all baptized in, um, in, into one body by one Spirit. Um, we receive the Spirit of God when we believe. And then there's multiple fillings after that. That when you receive Jesus, the spirit comes over your life, you're marked with the spirit, and then life becomes an ongoing pursuit of the filling of the Holy Spirit, like a spring of water that is ever flowing. Now, why do I hold to this? First, is I see people who have been baptized in the spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, they speak in tongues, and their lives look nothing like a spirit-filled life. It does not look empowered. Maybe it was at one point. You know, maybe they backslid. Slid. I believe that's possible. But there's no fruit. There's no character. They're not using their gifts. They're not serving. And they look spiritually dead. They do not look empowered. 
Now, if the spirit comes upon us when we believe and there's a subsequent filling of the spirit one time, what does that say for those people? Second reason I, I, I lean towards multiple fillings is because I look at the early disciples, someone like Peter, who appeared to be repeatedly filled with the Spirit. So Acts chapter two, the disciples were filled. Acts chapter four, we see at the beginning of the chapter, Peter speaking um, and being filled with the Spirit as he speaks. And at the end of the chapter, all the believers come together. They pray, the place is shaken. It says they were filled with the Spirit. So there's this subsequent, subsequent, subsequent filling with the Spirit. Thirdly, Paul said this in Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. We're gonna put it on the screen there for you. He said, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, I don't study Greek, but I read those who study Greek, and this is a, a passive command in the present tense in the original language. So a better way to, be, to read being filled with the Spirit would to read it as keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's open up your life. Don't just do this once, but this is how we live. How we live is as people who are filled with the Spirit continually. Keep on being filled with spirit. We can come under the influence and be controlled by too much alcohol consumption multiple times, or we can come under the filling of the spirit multiple times. Not once, not twice, but every day, every day. I don't think when Jesus said that you will be empowered by the spirit, he said, one time there's gonna be this powerful moment and then you're just gonna coast off of that experience. I believe that he meant that every single day we are supposed to be pursuing God and opening up our lives to God. I love how one, actually a lot of people put it this way. We shouldn't be praying for more of the spirit because we have the spirit. We should be praying that we give him more of our lives. So one, one charismatic preacher, he put it this way. I like what he said. He said, I believe in the second blessing. If I can also believe in a, in a third and a fourth, I don't want just, just one, I want a thousand. One writer said it this way, compare this situation to an old time farmhouse kitchen, much like the story I told at the beginning. In one corner, there was a sink. Above it, there was a pipe through which it came a continuous stream of water from the spring outside. The water by running constantly kept the sink brimful of good water. In a like manner, the Christian is to not let himself be emptied of the spirit that he may later become full again, which we do. Rather, he says, he's constantly to accept the direction and energy of the Spirit, so he is always overflowing. Maybe we should call it that, that we need to be overflowing with the Spirit continually. I like how Billy Graham put it, who's not a Pentecostal. He said, this is the normative Christian life. He said, this is God's plan, and a person who follows Jesus without being Spirit-filled is a defective Christian. Why? Because you receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Spirit is given to us to empower us to glorify Jesus with our lives, to empower us to live for him, to be a bold witness for his name, to use the gifts we have with greater potential. Um, A.W. Tozer said this, he's put it this way. He said, first he comes in some degree and measure when we are converted. Otherwise we couldn't be converted. Without him, we couldn't be born again because we are born of the Spirit but I'm talking about something different now, like that, and advance over that. I'm talking about his coming and possessing the body, mind, and life and heart to the full, taking the whole personality over gently, but directly and bluntly, making it his so that we may become a habitation of God through the Holy Spirit. This 
is filled with the Spirit and church. Person who, who has walked in a Pentecostal church and been a part of this church for, for years. Person who is new to this church, maybe new to Pentecostalism. This is available to all, to us all. This is available to us all. And listen, we will not flourish as a church, not because people don't just serve, not because we don't have all the right technology and all that. We will not flourish as a church if we are not a church that is filled with the Spirit. I think it would grieve the heart of God. It would grieve the Spirit. I think it would quench the Spirit to be people who do not pursue what is available to us, power of God. So how do we be filled? How do we be filled with the Spirit? So here's the letdown. There's no formula. There's no formula. Sometimes we see in the book of Acts, people are together in prayer and the Spirit is poured out. Sometimes people are laying hands on someone and they're filled with the Spirit. Sometimes it happens in moments of worship. We see that they were together, they prayed and they worshiped together, they're filled with the Spirit. I, I know a friend of mine who was worshiping in his car and he was overwhelmed with the Spirit with tongues. But a couple questions and then some guiding steps on how we can be filled with the Spirit. I'm gonna ask Matt, you can come on up. Questions first and then the steps. Number one, is can you believe this is part of God's plan? Can you believe that this is part of God's plan to be filled with the Spirit? You must be satisfied that this is not abnormal. It may be unusual, but not abnormal. I I read recently this past week, in a world um, where everyone is sick, healthy is not abnormal. It's unusual because everyone's sick but that's the normal. And I think as, as the church of God, we, have been, we are sick and we're far from where we should be because we're looking at something and we're calling it abnormal. It may be unusual because not a lot of people are living a spirit-filled, empowered life. What is the normative experience and part of God's plan? Can you believe this is part of God's plan? Number two is can you believe this is scriptural? Are you restful? about this in your spirit, that this is the life of a follower of Jesus as outlined in the new covenant, in the new Testament. Can you rest in that? Number three, probably one of the most important, do you want to be filled with the spirit? Before you can be filled continually, you have to desire it. Just because you're listening, just because you're a part of this church, doesn't mean you wanna be filled with the spirit. You can remain a part of this church and you'll always be a part of this church and not be spiritful. But do you want to be filled with the Spirit? Do you want all that is available to you through the Holy Spirit? Question number four is, do you want Him, Lord, of your life? The problem is, is as people in 21st century consumer Christianity, is we want all the benefits of God. We want all the benefits that come from believing in God, but are we willing to hand over the keys to our life? Are you willing to hand over the keys to your soul? Are you willing to say to God that this now is your house? This is your house, I'm yours. You can have my personality, you can have my will, you can have my ambitions, my hopes, my dreams, all of that I submit to your Lordship. That's what it means to have Jesus Lord as your life, that He is in control, He directs the the present and the future. Do you want to give him total control? 
to the one who will not tolerate selfishness and self-focus. And if you can say yes to all four of those questions, can you believe this is part of God's plan? You believe this is scriptural? Do you wanna be filled? Do you want him Lord of your life? Then you can be filled with the spirit. And here's four steps. And then I'm gonna pray for us. This first is you have to give your whole being to him. Romans chapter 12. God can't fill what he can't have. Your mind, your emotions, your will, your ambitions, your all. You have to give it all to him, not just part. Some of us say, well, I wanna be filled with the spirit. I believe in that, but then we don't give him all. We don't surrender. Number two, probably the most important is ask. Bible says you have not because you ask not. Jesus said this, Luke chapter 11, he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Like, it's almost like God saying, I'm ready. It's here for you. It's in you. He's there. The Holy Spirit is there. The power is available. Ask. And do you know, I think, I think we ask, but we don't ask with like a true surrender. We kind of like ask like in passing, like, oh, by the way, God, you know, I'd love to be filled with the spirit, empower me. And now I got to go and eat my lunch. Like we don't sit down and we don't surrender and we don't open ourselves up and say, okay, God, I want it all. I want it all. I'm giving you it all right now. I want it all. Give me the Holy Spirit of fullness. Holy Spirit, come upon me in power. Enable me to be the witness as described in Acts chapter two. Number three is obey. You can't be filled with the spirit and disobey God. The Bible says in Acts chapter five that God gives the spirit to those whom obey him. You know, some of us, we watch church and we have good intentions, we come to church, we participate in the life of church, but every other day doesn't look like obedience. Comes back to that surrender piece cannot be filled with the Spirit if we are not attempting at least to obey, to follow Christ. Like we're not perfect. We'll all fall short. And finally, number four is have faith. Believe it. Believe that it will happen. Believe and have faith that when you submit and you ask and you obey, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. I have faith. Maybe not a moment. You know, for me as a, as a child, I remember as a kid, like a junior high age kid, um, praying to be filled with the Spirit. Believing the Spirit of God was in me, but praying to be filled with the Spirit, like with the sign of speaking in tongues, with, with the belief that when I was filled with the Spirit, I would see something evident from my life. And we're gonna get into that conversation at a later day. And I remember praying. I remember having my mom pray over me. My mom was a youth leader back in the day. And I remember having her pray over me. I remember having youth leaders pray over me and it didn't happen. For years, it didn't happen. I had faith, but it didn't happen. Do you know when I was filled with the Spirit that I knew, that I knew, I knew, I knew that I was filled with the Spirit is when I was at a youth convention and I was praying over somebody else that God would touch their life. And I was, I was praying so earnestly. I, I, I had such desire. I think they needed healing. And so we were praying for healing. I don't remember what for. I was like, I was like 12 or 13 years old. And I felt the fullness of the Spirit come up. It can overwhelm me. So those three things, four things. First, give your whole being to him. Second, ask. Third, obey. And fourth, have faith. 
and keep doing that until you are filled and keep doing that even if you've been filled and keep doing that because this is the life of a follower of Jesus. Now remember the purpose of spirit baptism is that we would glorify Jesus in our lives. The greatest evidence I believe that someone is being filled with the spirit and being filled with the spirit and is living a spirit-filled life is that their lives are becoming more and more like Christ and less and less like themselves. I like how John the Baptist said it. What did he say? He says, I must decrease, he must increase. And that's what the Spirit does. And so I'll leave you with Paul's words and then I'm gonna pray for us. Paul said in Ephesians, said, do not get drunk on wine or, or beer or liquor or the fancy cocktail drink. Maybe it's something else. Do not get drunk on greed. Do not get drunk on consuming more materials and shopping. Whatever, whatever over, do not overwhelm your life and your spirit with other things. Do not give your life to something that can take control of your whole life, which leads to debauchery. Instead, he says, be filled with the spirit. Keep on being filled with the spirit multiple subsequent times. Why don't you bow your heads wherever you're listening and from today. If you're in the room, bow your heads. If you're here today and you're like, I wanna be filled with the Spirit, I'm gonna pray for you and pray for all of us. I wanna encourage you just to keep on asking and keep on believing and keep on pursuing what it means to be filled with the Spirit and you will see the fullness of the Holy Ghost come upon your life. The Holy Spirit of God, I ask in the name of Jesus that for all of us, God, who, who are followers of Christ, who are apprentices of Jesus, Holy Spirit, you reside in us. We are all baptized into the body of believers and we commit to a life of following Jesus. You, you come and dwell within us. Now we ask that you'd fill us once again. You'd fill us to overflowing like that spring well. Fill us to overflowing that every single day we would live and act out of the empowerment that comes from all that you are in us. And so right now in the name of Jesus, for those of us, God, who desire to be filled with the Spirit, I pray, God, that we'd surrender our lives, that we would begin to pursue and ask for the filling of the Spirit, that we would obey in the name of Jesus and we would have faith and that you would become more and more evident in and through our lives, we pray. Holy Spirit, come, fill this church, fill the, the organization that is this church, fill the leadership of this church, fill the staff, Lord, and the board of this church. Holy Spirit of God, fill the people of this church, the organism of Parkway Church. Let us be marked not by events, not by great worship, not by nice appearance, Lord, not by friendliness. Let us be marked by the Spirit moving in through our lives. Let us be marked by the power of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So quick, quick little story. I heard the story of a, he was a pastor, he was a preacher, and he was sharing in an interview how he came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, how he was saved. And he came into a room of a, of a church and it wasn't the preaching and it wasn't the welcoming atmosphere and it wasn't the worship. It wasn't any of that, which I think those are all part and parcel. I think those are good. It's, it's important that we are welcoming. I think as a spiritual church, we should be, we will be hospitable. That's a gift of the spirit. I think it's important that we are, are a church that worships and pursues the presence of God. I think that's, that's a mark of being spirit filled. But, but what, what led this man to Jesus was the overwhelming sense of the power of God in the room. He was immediately in the room and he was just overcome with the presence of God. And that happens in a spirit-filled church. 
That doesn't happen in a spirit-less church. It happens in a church that is filled with the spirit, that the spirit is so tangible in the lives of the people in the room that someone is touched, not by the words that someone shares or the, or the hands that, that's shaken or the, the words that the pastor's preaching. They're touched by the spirit of God. And that's what I want for us. That's what I want for you. I want you to be a spirit-filled person, that those around us would, would be drawn to God because of our lives, because of the spirit in us. So keep on being filled with the spirit. Keep on being filled with the spirit. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for tuning in today. And uh, keep uh, tuning in because next week's gonna be a great week. The week after that, we're hopefully gonna be outdoors and together. So keep posted for that. God bless you and have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.